0: Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com And as always, once again, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. Our regular season is in the rearview mirror. How are you feeling about uh, the postseason as it comes?
1: I am as excited as I can be about the postseason, Brett. I do love the regular season more than anything in college football. I think it's very, very special. It's unique in that sense, at least with regard to American sports. But hey, in America which is where we are, and I'm proud to be here, we play for championships, you play for trophies, conference championships, national championships, bowl titles. I understand what it's all about in our society. I'm here for it, so I am very excited for this, Brett. I know bowl season is your – you love the regular season, but I know you get very excited for bowl season. That's where you're really able to, to dive in and you go deep. I love it. I can't wait. We do have one more week of games, though, before we get to the bowls, which I'm very excited about. Yes, before we get
0: into it, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at thelinesus. You can find me at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here breaking down the entire college football postseason slate, as well as every bowl game upcoming. Like you mentioned, we're going to be diving really deep into these because more so during bowl season than any other time of the sports calendar, perhaps it is an information battle, and we will hopefully. Keep you as informed as possible, but we may be past the college football regular season, but the postseason can bring just as much, if not slightly more excitement. So let's dive into conference championship weekend, starting with on Friday night, the Pac-12 championship game between number five, Oregon and number three, Washington Washington. The Ducks, despite losing the first time around, are nine and a half point favorites. Pretty steep, maybe, for those that have not been keeping up with these two teams. And it carries an over under of 66 and a half points. As mentioned, this one kicks off on Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Fun fact back to back conference championships and back to back days at Allegiant Stadium. We'll talk about the other one upcoming. I'm very excited for this matchup. It was a blockbuster the first time around. Did not disappoint. In my opinion, one of the more exciting uh, games of the whole season. Michael Penix to Roman Dunze in the closing minutes. You know, but then the Oregon comes back and misses that 43-yard field goal. And that secured the win for Washington 33-30. to Now, this did open up Oregon minus 8.5. But that was bumped up, uh, deemed not quite high enough almost immediately. The first one over Oregon seemed to kind of take it out of Washington. It, they're beating opponents by just an average of six and a half points. And on that slate, that includes Arizona State, Stanford, Washington State. It was not a, a murderer's row, per se, of uh, of opponents that they were just skirting by. Now, I heard it uh, in the midseason at first, and this is not my take, um, but it's even more relevant now that look, this team is just 2022 TCU all over again. In fact, they actually broke 2022 TCU's record for most 10-point uh, or fewer wins in a row with eight of them. TCU had seven last year, and we remember how that went going into the postseason besides their surprise win in the college football playoff. But then you look across the way to Oregon, and that loss seemed to invigorate them. Now they're beating their schedule by an average of 22.3 points per game, which you know also includes Arizona State, Wazoo, Cal. I- again, not the... Biggest murders row, but they laid waste to some quality opponents as well. It's not a perfect one-to-one comparison by any stretch, but I do think that that kind of gives a pretty strong indication of where these two teams are currently at. Uh, how are they beating these subpar opponents that are overmatched? Oregon, taking care of business, leaving absolutely no doubt. Washington, eh, they're making the games watchable and a lot of fun. Now, to me, my biggest question is, is this the Heisman-defining game? It really comes down to Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels, but... I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't completely eliminate Michael Penix. Uh, I wrote in an article this past week about where the landscape of the Heisman Trophy is right now. Uh, the Athletic releases straw polls that I think are, are pretty indicative of, of the you know voters' uh, feelings on where they're at. Michael Penix is still there. If he comes into this game and absolutely lights up Oregon and, and Washington has a resounding win and secures their college football playoff spot... I would be hard-pressed not to consider him, although I do kind of land with Jane Daniels has one of the most – you you can read in the article. I I won't go on about it here. We don't have time for that. But um, the overall worst unit in this game on every facet, to me, is the Washington rush defense. Uh, The first time around, Oregon rushed for over 200 yards on them. They'll probably continue to be able to do that. And playing at home last time definitely helped Washington. I mean, you saw it with the the quick start, two first-quarter touchdowns. That's thanks to being at home and being comfortable. Now, do they get that same fast start again in Vegas? Not sure.
1: You said this game opened at Oregon minus 8.5, Brett. That's exactly what my numbers make it. I have Oregon with a 72% win expectancy. And I agree with so much of what you said there, Brett, uh, including the fact – I know you said it's not necessarily your take, but – It's been out there for a while. It it is my take. Um, I think there are a lot of similarities between this Washington team and last year's TCU team. Um, I posted it on X uh, a couple different times now. I I feel like Washington fans get offended by it. It's not an insult. TCU played for the national championship a year ago. Only Georgia had a better season than the Horn Frogs in 2022. It was an amazing year in Fort Worth, just like it's been an amazing year in Seattle this year. But there's no getting around it. Oregon is playing like the better team between these two, and like you said, they have been since that loss in Seattle in Week Seven. Oregon's been my number one-rated offense since Week Ten. They're now uh, they're, their defense is now playing at a season-best level. Number fourteen nationally, the Ducks are number three in my power ratings overall. Only Jacksonville State and Arizona have improved their K-Ford power rating more since the preseason than Oregon. Does this team have a top four resume? No. I talk about that in my article for the Lions. You were talking about your Heisman article. I'm talking about it in my article over there at thelines.com, too. It's really not even close as things stand right now. They have a chance to improve that resume if they're able to beat Washington, a neutral site here. But it's not top four resume right now. Is this a top four best team, though? My numbers do say yes to that one. You flip that around. Oregon doesn't have the resume, but they've got the the, the predictive analytics and the and the power behind them. Washington, they've got the resume But they're lacking a little bit from the predictive sense. Washington is number one in my record achievement metric. There is just a 1% chance, a 1% chance that the average top 25 team would be undefeated against Washington's schedule. What they have accomplished this year is truly remarkable, regardless of who did it. Playing that schedule and going undefeated, that's remarkable. The Huskies are number three in my most deserving rankings overall because it's a mixture of the record achievement and the relative scoring margin as well. So, when you put those two together, you get Washington at number three, which is exactly where the committee has them. But from a power rating standpoint, there is a reason that this spread here is more than a touchdown. It's pushing 10 points. I have Washington power rated number 13 nationally. That's a spot they've held since week 10, Brett. The offense is elite. You know this. You've talked about this. We're talking about Penix still being in the Heisman race, right? You don't have a quarterback in the Heisman race if your offense is not elite. They've been top five every single week since week two for me, but this defense is merely top 40. And I say merely top 40. That's better than I expected coming into the year. had a lot of questions about this defense. They've performed well. They've kind of taken a step back as we've gone here, and when you're talking about the elite of the elite, trying to make a playoff, trying to beat a number three power-rated team, the committee's number five team, You've got to be better than top 40. They can play like that in one game. Yes. Will they? I'm not sure. Will they be able to slow down Bill Nix and that Ducks offense away from Husky Stadium? Because remember, that first game, it was in Washington. As you said, that played a big role. I'm just not convinced. Bottom line, I've got Oregon minus 8.5. It's a 28% chance that Washington reaches 13 wins for the first time in program history. But I had to go back and double-check that. We do play more games now, you know, with the 12-game regular season, conference championship game, potentially the playoff. But... A program like Washington, some good history, some national championships, never won 13 before. There's been
0: some talk about this game maybe even being a blowout. And even the market movement kind of suggests it's not supposed to be the closest game on our slate this weekend. But I'm not convinced it's really a blowout. If this number does hit double digits, I will be considering Washington in that spot, especially with the high-scoring expected here, you know, we have, a, we have a total into the mid to upper 60s, uh, that's where I would probably be taking the points with Washington, um, if, if they do reach 10, but it was a term that was thrown out a lot, uh, solid verbal, terrific college football podcast, they were all over this this phrase last year for TCU, in luck runs out, and I think that definitely applies here, if you are playing too close to games, in which your, your post game win expectancy is near 50%, or it's a one score game which can indicate a toss up i you're gonna start you you're gonna be on the losing end of that eventually just probabilistically, and I know that's how you think and how your numbers operate um yeah so luck luck runs out is something I'm potentially looking for uh this weekend here i I do actually lean currently. I lean under their 28 and a half team total. Don't love that. But the explosive plays just have not been there for a large part of the end of the season. When they were there, it was against USC who, you know, that was the last game for Alice Grinch and in a defense that just opted not to stop anybody. But other than that, you, you look at their other games and they're against Washington state, not exactly the stoutest defense out there. They're, they just lack explosive play right now, which is bizarre for, for the talent on this offense. Um, I know that the, the saying that Oregon gets another look at Washington kind of goes both ways, right? Washington gets another look at Oregon. They've seen each other already. But I actually think getting the team again benefits the losing team in a close game. Uh, you know, if you lost that close game far more than the team that won. And if you look at it, 59% postgame win expectancy for Washington last time. So I think Oregon adds a leg up here. I agree with you in that they are playing like the better team right now. And uh, they've got a chance to to give Bo Nix a, some serious hardware here other than just a Pac-12 championship if they win and, and win convincingly on offense. So uh, that's kind of where I stand. If it hits 10, I'll, pr- I'll probably play a little bit back on Washington. I like under-team total 28.5 currently. Um, it's going to be a great game either way. From the Pac-12 to the Big 12, we have number 18, Oklahoma State. Against number seven, Texas, the Longhorns are 14 and a half point favorites and this game carries an over under of 55. Very key figure there. Keep it in mind. I, this game kicks off at noon Eastern on Saturday on ABC from AT&T Stadium in Arlington. I've been to the big 12 championship at AT AT&T Stadium. I'm not a big fan of these neutral site things, but man alive, is that that facility perfect for for this event? It was actually uh, the the 2022 edition, where um, or 2021, pardon me, where Oklahoma State was at the like inch yard line and got stopped by by Baylor. That was just an absolutely incredible game. Um, but this game, this opened at Texas minus 11 and a half. Been all one sided. They pushed it straight through 14. I think it touched 15 and a half even uh, for a moment here. And the over has taken some money too. open at 51 and a half. It's touched as high as 56. Th- this is interesting in all of these games. There has been some wild movement on these totals. This won't be the last one I talk about. That's moved up and down and around and all that. Some injury notes, though. Texas running back Jonathan Brooks. This is old injury news, but it's worth bringing back up. He's out for the season towards ACL. He was uh, the Big 12 leader in rushing yards, I believe. Or he was behind Ollie Gordon, but he, he was over a thousand yard rusher in, in the games that he played. Xavier Worthy, JT Sanders, CJ Baxter, they're all expected to play. The story of this weekend, though, it, it, we talked about it in the last game. I'll talk about it here. I'll continue talking about it. Which team is currently playing a better form than their opponent? I, You know what? Oklahoma State, since they played Oklahoma, they got blown out on the road by UCF. They allowed 30 points to Houston, uh, and it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and they needed a multi-score comeback and two overtime periods to beat BYU. Now, on the other hand, Texas did have a stretch where they nearly blew that lead to Kansas State. They kind of squeaked by TCU, and then they needed a late push to kind of bury Iowa State. But then they go and play Texas Tech and beat them by 50. And between that Tech game and the Kansas game earlier, they've beaten those two opponents 97-21. to So there is a second gear in which Texas can put their foot down and play like the best team in the country. We saw that when they walked into Tuscaloosa and took a win. Now, the weakness, though, of Texas defense is in their secondary but I don't know that I trust Alan Bowman and take advantage of that. Uh, you know, when Ollie Gordon, the, the running back, doesn't get going, neither does this team. And Texas' defense is 11th in rushing success rate, 8th in uh, points per quality possession allowed. Uh, shout out to Stats of War Parker Fleming on Twitter for those points per quality possession. Unbelievable uh, work they does there. But... Uh, Texas also best in late down success rate on defense and Oklahoma state They're 97th in points per quality possession so they can generate quality possessions But they're not always finishing those in the end zone I think that's a big deal for them there now There is one big glaring issue and it's one of the biggest issues nationally of any team high-level team I would say Texas's red zone production offensively is just horrific just awful. They're ninth in quality possessions generated but get this, 116th nationally in finishing those quality possessions. Red zone play calling, red zone execution has been
1: bad for Texas. Will it be enough to bite them in this game, Brett? I don't know. You say this open Texas minus 11.5. It's risen to Texas minus 14.5. My numbers suggest that's still not enough. I have Texas minus 17 wow. in this game with an 88% win expectancy for the Longhorns. I just I, – To be honest, I think Texas is probably excited that they're not playing Oklahoma this weekend because it was very, very close to being that rematch, and I think my numbers would have made it a little bit closer. Now, Oklahoma State can use that to their advantage too, um, but we'll see how it plays out. Oklahoma State was picked to finish middle of the pack in the Big 12. My own numbers had them finishing seventh, I think, so right there in the middle. It's been a tremendous season in Stillwater. Truly, it has. Two conference championship game appearances in three years. It's outstanding. Cowboy fans should be really proud of this program over the last... Decade plus, I mean, really, since Gundy's been there, their level of success and their level of of relevance nationally has far exceeded what it's been historically. But even in recent years, they should be very, very proud of what this program's accomplished and what this team in 2023 has accomplished. I just I look at this and I say, where do the pokes have a significant and meaningful advantage in this game in particular? This matchup against Texas at a neutral site with everything on the line for Texas. Texas has top 10 units on both sides of the ball. It's the number eight defense. It's the best opposing defense Oklahoma State's number thirty-five offense has seen all season, and it's even worse on the other side, where the Pokes rank number fifty-two defensively. The motivation of being an underdog, like the the motivation that provides, it's real, and so I don't want to discount that. There's also something to be said for Oklahoma State having the opportunity to send Texas packing out of the Big Twelve with a loss, like they did to the Sooners in Bedlam. But I'm just not sure that motivation and that underdog hard. I'm not sure that's enough to get the job done in this game. Could, could it end up being closer than 17, like model predicts? Absolutely. Can they win the game outright? It has to be more than that for me. I don't think you can ride that alone, and I'm just not sure what it is. Ollie Gordon's great. Can he just carry the load? Is he healthy enough to do that? I, I don't know. Bottom line, I have Texas minus 17. It's just a 12% chance that Oklahoma State puts an end to the Longhorns' CFP hopes right there in Arlington at noon on Saturday.
0: In a conference that's been dictated by chaos and opportunity and the 2022 (laughs) TCUs, like every year there's brand new teams making Arlington. Listen to this. Mike Gundy just completed his 10th nine-win season in 15 years.
1: He's He's an an underrated coach nationally.
0: This team was dead to rights coming into the year. They the, the best that we talked about it. I I slandered them across this whole podcast about Alan Bowman being the best they can get, and here they are,
1: Brett, dead to rights coming into the year. Hold on, they were dead to rights during this year. If I pull they, up their team they, da- yes. team dashboard real quickly here, I mean going after into the bye. yeah, I mean going into the buy, they were sitting there at two and two. They just lost to South Alabama and Iowa State, an Iowa State team who at the time people didn't think was very good, and they ended up having a pretty good year, but two and two heading into a game at home against Kansas state. And I was like, Oh boy, I think that game was on a Friday night. I remember watching it it and I was like, wait a minute, look at this. They they took advantage Mm -hmm. of the bias is a nice little story. Well, it was better than a nice little story. It turned out to be uh, a season long ride that, that they went on minus that road trip to UCF. Still not sure what happened there.
0: The letdown of all letdowns after bedlam, I I think can be attributed to that. Anyway, uh, this line has been corrected. If you got an early, great job. That's an excellent bet, but it's, it was just it was a it was a wrong it, it was the wrong number is it, it was a mistake is basically what got posted right now as things stand I think I lean over the total um, given that Texas is still on the outside looking into the college football playoff field and Oklahoma State likes to run some tempo and they do have some guys that can score uh, this to me seems like it, it's it's going to be quite a bit of offense in uh, the Big Twelve as we know it in, in their final uh, final chapter. We head over to the Mountain West. We have Boise State, a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Most of these are neutral sites. This one is not. Uh, we have Boise State, two-and-a-half-point road favorite at UNLV, and this game carries an over-under of 58 and a half points. It kicks off at 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox. It's played at Allegiant Stadium. That's the home venue for UNLV. The Mountain West is one of the few that still keeps that uh, top seed hosts, and I know that was determined by... Basically, the BCS format uh, computer points in, in uh, for who made this. I, I feel kind of badly for San Jose State, who made just a terrific push. Keep put a pin in San Jose State for bowl season. That is a team that I will be either taking or laying points with. I will absolutely be betting San Jose State. Um, Situate you know to a certain point situationally. Either way, Boise State interesting story. They fired Andy Avalos earlier this year. And they're still in the conference championship. I feel like that doesn't happen too often. Uh, it seems like this team is pretty excited about their interim as well. They're playing really well under them uh, lately. And, and if you look at Boise State's record and you just see the 7-5, and five, you're like, ah, probably not that great of a season. But honestly, that record is really misleading. They truly were one of the luck unluckiest teams in the country. They had a blocked field goal for a touchdown, a Hail Mary uh, walk-off field goals, just a litany of bizarre endings. For this team that ended up pushing them to seven and five, or like really, it just one or two of those flip around. You're talking about nine and three, eight and four. That's a much better season, I uh, you know, perception wise. If you're looking at UNLV, they misstepped last week. They got beat pretty good by San Jose State before they closed that gap late in the game. But again, San Jose State playing really good football right now. Uh, UNLV's coaching staff is at the center of pretty much every opening across the country, be a coordinator or even head coach, Barry Odom and Brennan Mary are particularly um, under the, uh, we're going to take your coach watch potentially. And I like this coaching staff a lot, um, but a bunch of them are just on the precipice being hired away. And like, they've never been in this position before they have not been to the conference championship very often, you know, ever before they were what to win team last year. I think I uh, Boise state on the other hand, Oh, they've been here a lot. This is comfortable for them even on the road, controlled environment you know it it is UNLV's home but it's a it's a pro stadium so it's essentially a neutral uh, you know if you if you aside from the travel advantage that UNLV would have there my biggest question here in the game can UNLV take advantage of Boise State's pass defense that's outside the top 120 plus yard passes this season particularly early if they can get on them man they can roll that momentum into a conference championship but to be honest on this side of three, I think I lean Boise State. They have the best weapon in the game and Ashton Gentry. He was the, the Mountain West player of the year, um, offensive player of the year. And, and plus, George Helani's back and healthy. The run game has just been dominant. 250 yards per game in their last three outings. UNLV's defense has actually given up 230, over 230 yards per game on the ground in their last three, including
1: 344 yards to Air Force. Yeah, Brett, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I think San Jose State got a raw deal here by my conference record achievement metric. The Spartans' 6-2 and two conference record was more impressive or more difficult to achieve than either Boise State's or UNLV's. So here's my plea, once again, to conferences to use more modern computer metrics in their tiebreaker policies. I think an injustice was done here. It is what it is. Let's look at this game. I have Boise State minus 1.5. It's a 54% win expectancy for the Broncos. The offenses are the best units in this game by my numbers, both ranking in the top 40. And while Boise State's defense is top 70... The UNLV defense is only number 87. I expect the Broncos' ability to take advantage on that side of the ball to be the difference in this one, even though it is at UNLV. I think I saw something about ticket sales. Potentially there's more Boise State fans that are going to be at this game than UNLV fans. Again, I think I saw that on X as I was scrolling. Take it for what it's worth. I don't know what the source was. But I have a two- Two-and-a-half point home field baked in for UNLV, right? And that's how I get Boise only minus one-and-a-half. So my point in saying it was, if we don't have that full home field advantage for UNLV, I'm probably a little bit closer to either where Vegas is and or, Brett, where you're lean it is in this game. Bottom line, I've got Boise State, by the model, minus one-and-a-half, 46% chance that UNLV earns its first conference championship uh, win, Brett, here it is, since winning the Big West title in 1994. So, yes, it's been a minute. And they were in the Big West at that time.
0: I thought you said Big Ten West at first, and I was like, holy cow, that is a piece of history. <laughs> <laughs> the Big West, I love it, though. I, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, my question also, to, to just kind of wrap this up, just to uh, you know, further, further bolster my, my argument for, for Boise State with the points, is what would this spread be if just two of those fluke results changed and, and went 9-3? If the bounce went their way and they went 9-3? and three? That's kind of how I view this team right now. I, I view them as a 9-3 and three level team. I don't know if it would have slipped under 2.5. I don't even know if they would have opened at 3. It probably would have been a little bit steeper. Um, that's that's why I'm on Boise State in, in this game here.
1: I think that's a really good nugget. I know that was a rhetorical question. I think that's such a good nugget. For those that are listening to this and watching this, that like to bet on college football, which I, th- I think most people watching and listening do. Oh, I hope. <laughs> right? I mean, even though that's not what I'm doing here. right? But if... If you looked at every team through that lens, that's why my what-if rankings, yeah, they're funny, yeah, they're silly, yeah, people say they're dumb, they don't matter, what are you doing this for? You don't have to take it to that extreme of like ranking the teams, but look to see what records would be if you just flip the one-score results. Because in Boise State's case, you're saying just flip a couple of those fluky ones and see what it says. If you're betting on teams and you're trying to power-rate teams – look to see what it would be if you flip those things and and maybe you don't have to flip them all the way just you know make it 50 50 so hey instead of we're minus four just make it even just just pull it back to even or make it minus two or whatever it is just see what it is in that and then ask yourself how would the market be set here how would people react to this because so often with such a small sample size of only 12 games record can be such a misleading quote stat it's not really a stat but record can be misleading and when we power rate teams, that's why we don't look at records, and Vegas doesn't either. So, Brett, I think you're spot on there. I would encourage anyone who's seriously betting college football, if you're not already, look at these one-score games, flip a couple around, and see how much, if at all, does that change my perception of this team? Because that could be the difference between winning and losing you know, bets on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and Boise State's an easy one, because you look at their four one-score I, losses, I, and three of those one-score losses were truly one ridiculous play, just take two of those. Take half of it, right? Like, like you said, regress it to the mean. If you have a 50-50 expected outcome of something, flip the coin enough times, you're going to get 50%. That's why I'm taking two away and not saying, well, this team could be 11-1. and one. Like, no, nah, let's just flip the, let's flip the Hail Mary. Let's flip the block field goal and say, okay, they're 9-3. and three. I think the spread would be a little bit different here in this game. Heading over to the American Athletic Conference, the AAC. Not to be confused with the ACC, considering I'm talking about an ACC team here. SMU on the road at number 22, Tulane. Tulane is a four-point home favorite, and this game carries an over-under 48 points. Kicks off at 4 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Again, from New Orleans, from Yulman Stadium, the American is one of those that does uh, award the top seed their home environment, which I think is pretty cool, especially for uh, the group of five conferences. This... Is looking like it could potentially be a weather game. Uh, There's storms in the forecast right now, even though it's early in the week. I know, you know, the, who can predict the weather on uh, Saturday? Uh, you know, on Tuesday, but I, when I look at that, I see rain every day around Saturday. So seems pretty likely. Not like it's just one day that may move. It seems like it's going to be a multi-day event. I would just keep an eye on that. I the under took a lot of money. Tulane took money at first. This is another one of these. Depending on when you looked, you probably got 15 different combinations of a spread and an over-under. Um, and I think Tulane taking the money is is in response to the the big injury here. SMU quarterback Preston Stone broke his leg. It was really unfortunate he's out for the season. He won't play in this game. Uh, and also, I think the weather is driving down that, that over-under already. Uh, so it's going to be redshirt freshman Kevin Jennings. He has 24 passing attempts this year. Kelly, do you know who else is on this roster? Alex Padilla, Iowa's own... Alex Pity, I didn't know he was still playing college football. I Good saw him. him in the in, in the stat sheets. I'm like, that's awesome. So it's it's going to be Kevin Jennings, but just know that there is a, there's a, I'm going to say experienced quarterback on the <laughs> roster that at least played at a major program in the past. Uh, Tulane did actually hit as high as minus five and a half, but somebody here on, uh, we're recording this Tuesday late at night, is somebody came in today on Tuesday and hit SMU hard. Can sit They moved them from five and a half right back to that four. Real quick, um, and I'll get into why because I, I agree with that movement. Uh, I was not well. I, I'm part of it, but I did not move the line. Let's let's put that out there. Um, <laughs> Tulane continues to play up and down to their competition, but my goodness, if they weren't fortunate in their last game against UTSA, the Roadrunners had five turnovers. All four of Tulane's touchdowns came on fields shorter than 50 yards. If you bet on UTSA. I am so sorry. That is devastating to watch that unfold. SMU, on the other hand, they just don't turn the ball over. Even the backup has no turnover-worthy throws on 24 attempts. I get it. More conservative. He's coming in for cleanup duty. He's going to have to be more aggressive in this game. But the, the SMU system, their backs, their receivers, like they just really don't turn the football over. So, uh, Tulane has benefited from that field position game all year, they're seventh in average starting field position on offense. That is, you know, partly generated by a defense that's still really good uh, and they can force turnovers. But again, I'm not going into a game ever saying, yes, Tulane is going to force four turnovers. Therefore, I'm going to bet them like they're going to do that because that's just unsustainable. I have a feeling we're probably going to see them pretty high up in Bill Connolly's turnover luck ratings when those come out in the offseason. Uh, SMU's defense, though. Terrific. They're 14th in success rate allowed overall. They played in just two one-score games all season, and they're particularly good against the pass, thanks to a consistently really nice pass rush that they put together. I remember seeing them atop the uh, the PFF rankings. They're fifth now, but at the beginning of the year, and kind of scratching my head like, they must have just had a couple of good games. No, they're a really outstanding unit. They've continued it all year to play at a high level. On the other side, Tulane, they're 103rd in EPA per rush, so it's going to be a lot of Michael Pratt. Uh, he, I, I did see that he is a, a possible um, transfer portal, or I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on with Michael Pratt, but he's going to play in this game, and he's, he's going to play well because he's a very good football player. But Pratt has a very high average time to throw, 2.9 seconds on uh, per drop back, and when you're going up against a really good pass rush like that, he's going to need to bring that time uh, to throw down. I, I like the points with SMU. I, I I jumped on it at five and a half. I was hoping we'd have seen six. I don't think we're going to see six. I was still taking it at four. I think SMU is still live to win this game on the road, even with <clears throat> even without Stone in that lineup. Is he worth three points? I, at one point, it was suggested that he was, considering where the spread moved, but... Apparently somebody in the betting market wasn't convinced, and I'm not convinced that he's worth that many points. Uh, And also this does correlate with the under. So if you're going to look at the under, that's a great bet too. And you've seen it tick down. So that's why I would like to take SMU because SMU's offense wasn't great without Stone. Keep in mind, he's now had a full week to prepare. So this is going to be a little bit more efficient uh, with, uh, with, with the redshirt freshman in there.
1: Brett, if you're not in the portal in 2023, are you even a college football player? Like, I mean, come on. Everybody's in the it's portal all the year. time. It is. And it's it's crazy that's all everyone's talking about and the coaching changes and all that. And I'm like, guys, we have conference championship games to get to. That's why I'm so excited. That's where our focus is here. We have forever to talk about all that. We have 1 week to talk about these games. I could not agree with you more Brett on just about everything you just said. My numbers, which are not explicitly accounting for Stone's injuries here. Like let me be clear. It's not it's not like, oh, Kelly's got Stone out and the backup in. Here's what the numbers say. No the model, which does not see the injury, I have SMU minus seven. This line is 11 points from that, and it was 12 and a half just a couple hours before we recorded this, this episode. I mean, that is wild. Even without Stone, even at Yulman Stadium, I think the wrong team is favored in this game. I, I really do. Even if you downgrade the SMU offense significantly, it's still just about a wash with the Tulane defense that I have ranked mid-30s right now. And on the other side, the SMU defense—they're playing at a season-best level right now, ranking number 35. They're going up against a Tulane offense that currently ranks a season-worst number 58. How many points are we given for home field here? I mean, e- even if you're being aggressive with home field, and you think that Stone is worth more points than I probably do, at, at best you're looking at a pick 'em. I mean, th- th- yeah. I don't—I don't know. I, I really—I I could easily end up looking dumb here. I just. I think SMU wins this game outright. Tulane has the inside track to returning to the New Year Six as a G5 rep. I know. They've got the history. They've got the, the experience. All that stuff. The only other time the Green Wave faced a top-50 team this season, they lost. It was to Ole Miss. That game was also at home. I'm not saying SMU's Ole Miss. They're not. But that's the only other time Tulane's been tested. And you talked about some of the close games I've had here down the stretch and the turnover luck that it's taken for them to be in the position that they are. I just – again – I'm I'm backing a backup quarterback here, so I could look very very silly. I just think SMU has enough to win this game outright as a team. I, I really do.
0: I I love that that you mentioned that your number is eleven points off because there is no combination of individual football player and home field advantage in any level on any team that adds up to eleven points. Hard stop. I'm I'm with you. I I. Th- my aggregate power ratings also, and I derated SMU manually a, w- without Preston Stone. It's just the numbers are pointing to SMU, and and the later we get into the week and the higher betting limits increase, that movement on SMU means a whole lot more than mm-hmm. any movement on Tulane early in the in the week. I, I, I agree with you. I think SMU is a better team here. I would take SMU to win outright, um, but – just to save just in case the quarterback comes out and stinks it up. I will take them uh, plus four at this point. Although I am happy to be holding on to a plus five and a half ticket. All right, moving on to, to maybe the biggest game of the day, maybe the biggest sec game of the season. We have number one, Georgia, a five and a half point favorite against number eight, Alabama. This game kicks off on uh, four at 4 PM. Eastern on CBS it has an over under 54 and a half. And is played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. We're all very familiar with that. That's where it's been for quite a while now. It's been... uh, The money's been on Georgia this week. They're up from three and a half. Now, keep in mind, this is one of very, very few games on the schedule where there's likely enough public action to actually move the line. The Super Bowl, late NFL playoff games, SEC Championship, National Championship. Those, that's about it. Maybe Ohio State, Michigan, but like, that's really about it. And I know... There's different schools of thought of no amount of public money move you know can move the line, but that's I don't really subscribe to that theory i I do believe that enough public money can move the line, but
1: I'm not even a better, and I know that Brett yeah, yes that and, is absolutely true.
0: There are some people that are very adamant in that no amount of public either way um, <laughs> and the public bets favorites that's who they're over that's why there's so much value in taking underdogs with, with the points, but the public is going to be all over Georgia. Uh, I don't know if the, the, all the movement kind of has been that. I don't think it's, it's been all that, but uh, you know, I think Georgia is going to continue to get the nod. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Alabama movement, and if we do late in the week, I'm almost positive it's not going to be public money. It's going to be very sharp money that is probably going to be like a day of thing that's like, oh boy, we see it move, and of course it was Alabama the whole way. Either way. Uh, in, especially in reaction when we're talking about the public, especially in reaction to last week's Iron Bowl. You know, people tuned in and saw Alabama on the ropes against Auburn, but, like, Alabama never plays well at Jordan-Hare. But what a ridiculous any of that game. That was a lot of fun uh, for somebody who had no stake in it whatsoever. <laughs> so much fun to watch. But Alabama never plays well at Jordan-Hare. Uh, they just haven't. This is now uh, four times in the last four times. They've lost twice outright as favorites, and they have failed to cover the other two spreads by quite a lot. Um This week, I think it'll be really key to pay attention to any day of movement. Like I said, that's going to be the sharp stuff. The public stuff may move it throughout the week. Uh, These are two teams that are really hitting their stride right now, perhaps more than anybody else in the country, aside from maybe Oregon. uh, These two teams are playing top of their games. This might be – this definitely is uh, a bit in the weeds here, but – I'm really interested to see Georgia's coverage adjustments against Jalen Milroe and Alabama, especially seeing that famed fourth and thirty-one that'll go down in history. Uh, you know, Bama's wide receivers—they're not excellent yak guys. It's a lot of here, twenty point six a uh, you, you know, and that's that's their mo, and that's Jalen uh, Milrow's mo. But Georgia's secondary—very sound tacklers through and through. They have some of the best tackling safeties, some of the best safeties. Period in the country I'm looking for what's called rob, hold, steal coverages whatever you call them or, or know them it's where the corners bail and cover 2 and safeties are coming down and uh you know like uh, bullard starks like they're they're better players to undercut verticals and uh, maybe deep digs and anything like that but If we're looking at soft coverages from the corners, they bail. You may see Millero try to take one of these seam shots, and all of a sudden you've got six going the other way because the safeties are playing robber coverages there. I'm just interested to see if they do that. I think that's a very sound way to make Jalen Milro second-guess himself, tuck the ball when he doesn't want to, challenge him to take those underneath routes and force the receivers that are not great yak receivers to make DBs that are all very good tacklers miss. That is super in the weeds, but that is the matchup I'm looking for defensively with Georgia against Alabama's offense. Uh, uh, not so much in the weeds. The duality between these two quarterbacks is very funny and also a lot of fun. You're looking at Carson Beck, super quick release, very short average time to throw. He's methodical. He's got a shorter average depth target. Milrow, he's basically just a Madden player. He, he dances around and launches everything deep. He's got a very long average time to throw. Super fast, very good playmaker. Uh, these are the kind of matchups that don't normally catch my interest. They almost fall into the point of being too corporate when you're dealing with the SEC championship. Like it's, it's my least favorite on the on the docket usually, but but this year has absolutely piqued my interest.
1: Before I get to this one, Brett, I talked last week, and we both did about our affinity for the Iron Bowl, how much we love it. Twenty thirteen was the kick six. Twenty twenty three is the fourth and thirty one. You just mark your calendar right now because twenty thirty three, something crazy is going to happen. I just, I can't believe it, man. That ending, like you said. It, it, it quite literally is unbelievable. Like you had to be watching to to fully appreciate what that ha- what that moment was all about. It was just crazy. Uh this Alabama team now needs to get back up again cuz George is going to be a massive threat and a big big test here. You said this to corporate. Maybe not the matchup that usually catches your eye. In a typical year, this year's a little bit different for the reasons that you mentioned. I- I'll say it Brett, and maybe I'm plain vanilla whatever you want to say basic. I-, I don't even know what the Correct term is Georgia Alabama always catches my interest. <laughs> Th- these are the matchups. I mean, like Ohio State Michigan last week that that I simply can't miss. And again, I'm excited for this game. It's going to be a regular season game in 2024. The SEC came out and said they're playing that game in September, which really yeah. smart on them because you even hear about it on this even hear about it on the selection show. Teams that lose the, the selection committee was talking about. Oregon's loss early in the year to Washington. Well, one, it wasn't early in the year. It was really mid-year. But early in the year, and and he kind of just brushes over it. Like, oh, yeah, they lost, but it was early in the year. So by putting Alabama and Georgia in September next year, that's a, quote, early in the year loss that either team can easily recover from. Now, in a 12-team playoff, it probably doesn't matter when they play that game. They're both getting in most likely. But for this game, I'm very, very excited about it. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, two Giants of the conference, the two favorites coming into the year, clashing in Atlanta, in all likelihood a trip to the CFP on the line. I do think there's a scenario where if Alabama wins, the SEC could be shut out. I know SEC fans don't want to hear that. I think there's a scenario. I'm not even advocating for it that my most deserving would suggest that should be the case. I'm saying that could be where we end up. Let's just wait and see. Usually, Brett, and I've talked about this already a couple times on this show, and I will on, on other games coming up, line movement is in the direction of my numbers. Not in this one. And it might be for the reason you talked about with the public uh, moving this line a little bit. You said Georgia opened minus three and a half. It's moved to minus five and a half. My model actually makes this Georgia minus two. It's a 56% win expectancy for the Bulldogs. Georgia is the better team. My numbers tell me that. My eyes tell me that. um, But I said the same thing. I'm not not so far removed from the 2021 season that I don't remember saying the same thing exactly two years ago. And Alabama went into Mercedes-Benz and beat the Bulldogs. So... This isn't some foregone conclusion, in my opinion, that Georgia is just going to roll over Alabama because that's what this team does. Actually, now that I think about it, was that the last time Georgia lost a game? I think it was. That SEC yeah. championship game to it, Alabama. It was the last so time they've lost It's literally been two now. years, but it's the exact same buildup, the exact same scenario. And so... Um, the best and most even matchup in this game should be the number four Georgia offense against the number six Alabama defense. I'm very excited to see how Carson Beck performs against the strongest defense that he's faced this season. The difference in the game for me is likely to be made on the other side though where the only unit in this game that doesn't rank in the top six nationally is the Alabama offense. They come in at number 15 but Milro and company have improved significantly since being ranked number 29 early in the season and when I say early in the season, I don't mean in the middle of September, or the middle of October. I do mean early in the season. I'm talking week three, week four. Um, can they score enough points, that Alabama offense, against the number five-ranked Georgia defense? That is the big question. Georgia's undefeated. The two-time defending national champs haven't lost since the SEC Championship game two years ago, we just talked about. They don't lose often, clearly. But in the back of their minds, Brett, this is, this is important for me. I feel like they have to know. There is a scenario, and maybe it's not even that far-fetched, where a loss knocks them out of the CFP. It's the only time all year that they're playing with that kind of pressure on them. And I don't think they played with that kind of pressure on them last year either. I think going into the SEC Championship game last year, I think they were in regardless just based on how everything else was shaping up. Like if 12-1 and Georgia would have got in over 12-1 and Ohio State— or 12-1 Georgia would have got in over 11-1 Ohio State last year, who the committee had number four. So I'm curious how Georgia's going to respond. They don't, they're don't; they not used to this pressure. They lose any other game this season, during the regular season, they still know, hey, we win the SEC, we're still good. Um, that's not the case right now. You lose this game, your season could be over for all intents and purposes. So let's see. I, we haven't seen Georgia play like that in a long time, and I'm curious how it's going to play out. Bottom line, I've got Georgia minus 2. It's a 44% chance that the Tide potentially put the committee in a really tough spot. On Sunday, Brett, I I wouldn't want to be in that committee room if you've got undefeated Michigan, undefeated Washington, undefeated Florida State, twelve and one Texas, twelve and one Bama, and eleven and one or twelve and one Georgia as well. Who are you leaving out? I don't know. I don't want to be I, in that room.
0: I'm rooting for chaos. I, no matter how things shape out, unless all top four teams just win and roll, then that's you are going to go with. Yep. But it. I am rooting for so much chaos. I want every team to be one loss. I just do. I want them to make a tough decision because it'd be fun. It'd be so great. But uh, we're looking at under, just barely under the key number of 55. So I actually like over the point total here. The SEC championship game has been a higher scoring match uh, in years past. And I think these are two offenses that can score. And that are playing their best football of the year currently and defenses that aren't quite the historic levels uh, maybe that we expect to come into the year. I also lean Alabama plus six or better. Uh, I, I agree with your numbers here. Uh, if it if it is indeed the public betting the favorite, then I'm going to take the underdog, uh, especially at six. Uh, I think there was a little bit of an overreaction last week and six kind of seems to be the, the resistance by point because I, I have not seen it cross that. So Alabama plus six over 55 or over 54 and a half 55 or better I should say uh, are my two plays in this game we have the ACC championship game number 14 Louisville against number four Florida yeah number four Florida State uh, FSU is a two and a half point favorite in the game carries an over under 48 and a half points it kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and on, uh, I said on ACC on ABC <laughs> is the network in which this game is featured and it's played at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. And we are looking at potential rain in this one as well. I I don't understand why we're not just playing all the conference championships indoors. Most of them already are anyway. If it's at a neutral site, that's just my thing. I believe football should be played outdoors, but when you're doing the conference championship, it, whatever. Um, the total did open at 49.5 points and it was bet up heavily to 53.5. And now it's bet way back down. Like I really cannot keep up with... Uh, the movement in these sides and especially with the totals i I like I don't know what side the right side do I believe the bet up do I believe the bet down are we am I or overreacting to weather on Tuesday and betting down I don't even know uh but Louisville it's been one sided action for them uh obviously in in response to Jordan Travis not playing this game and how Florida State performed against Florida without Travis it, it was uh, plus five and a half Louisville was plus five and a half at one point here um Rodemaker looked um well, he's not Jordan Travis, is he, against Florida. He had 134 yards passing, 48% completion. He was overall off target. He took three sacks. It was not great. The offense only picked up 57% of available yards against Florida, who, to be fair, was fighting for a bowl game. But, like, the Las Vegas Bowl, they, they weren't playing for a high-level bowl game. I don't think that the the uh, drive from Florida was there other than just to knock off their rivals at home. Uh, and if you're looking at Louisville, you know they have one of the better pass rushes nationally, and so I think they can get after Rodemaker and uh, make him fairly uncomfortable. Louisville is also 7th in quality possessions allowed on defense, but they are 84th in points allowed on those quality possessions, so they're, they are allowing teams to score on the very few good drives that they get. Uh, we're looking an injury bit on that side of the ball. Starting corner, Jarvis Brownlee. He did return in Week 13, but he was seriously limited in his snaps. He's been kind of hurt on and off, has not played a full healthy game since Week 7. Um, on the other side of the ball, Florida State has one of the best secondaries in the country. And uh, we're talking about Jack Plummer here. Louisville, excellent team. Jack Plummer is still unreliable, uh, to put it nicely. I worry about his ability to get the ball to his receivers when they don't get separation, when they're NFL open, not college open. Uh, you know, be able to lead them. He just doesn't do that very well. And he's 14 turnover-worthy throws this season, 11 picks. And boy, when he makes bad decisions, he makes horrific decisions. And at times he can be strictly inaccurate. He's played well in three of his last four games, which is good. But when he's bad, he's really, really bad. So I worry about going up against an elite defense, especially an elite coverage unit uh, with Plummer here. Can Louisville keep him clean as well? I do worry about that on both sides. Uh, you know, Plummer's the third most pressured quarterback in the ACC. And Florida State has the fifth highest sack rate over the last three games. Eighth on the year. Jared Verse, of course, you know the name well. Future first round NFL draft pick. 49 pressures and eight sacks on the season.
1: I just got to say, Brett, if you would have told me. When Plummer transferred from Purdue to Cal, hey, hey, Kelly, one day in his college career still, he's going to be playing in the ACC championship game as a a less-than-a-field-goal favorite starting quarterback with a team that has a chance to ruin someone's CFP hopes. I I, would have just looked at you like, what are you talking about? But that's the era – that's the, that's the era of, of the transfer portal and just how crazy everything is. Um, good for him. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this Louisville team. What they've accomplished is great. Uh, earlier I said Washington reminded me a bit of 2022 TCU. Honestly, Florida State does too. And without Travis, perhaps this Florida State squad is power rated more in the category of 2015 Michigan State. Actually, a team that deservingly made the CFP wow. with a strong resume, but wasn't power rated at an elite level. Uh, that's probably a bit harsh for this Florida State team, but the drop-off, it it is significant without Travis, and I think you've already seen the offense regress a little bit. My numbers have Florida State minus 9.5 in this game. Now, like I talked about earlier with SMU, before people freak out and say, Kelly's saying Florida State's going to my 9.5, I'm not explicitly accounting for Travis's injury. That said, like I talked about earlier, I don't believe Jordan Travis or any college quarterback is worth seven points to the spread. They're just not. So, my model does suggest there might be some value in backing Florida State here if you're laying less than a field goal as the line currently stands. It was only one game, but the offensive regression for Florida State with Rodemaker at quarterback was noticeable. The Noles offensive unit ranking fell from number 9 nationally to number 12 for me. That's a that's a significant fall in one game this late in the year. The Florida State offense probably isn't even the number 12 unit in the country, you know, w- without Travis, but with Louisville's defense only being number 26, I still think that even without Travis and, and Rodemaker in there, can we get to a wash there? Like can the Florida State offense just get a stalemate? Because if they can, then I think we're in good shape. Like just be top 30 good and then let your defense take care of it, I think that's what they're going to be able to do. Even if they can't get there, the defense should still be able to pick up the slack. The Knolls are up to a season-best number 7 on that side of the ball. They should be able to dictate the game to a certain extent against this Louisville offense, which I also have number 26. Louisville's number 26 on both sides. Very balanced team, uh, hovering in that mid-20s. Tells you where they are from a power rating standpoint, but they're very accomplished. I picked Louisville third in the ACC in the preseason, due in large part to the easy schedule. They did me one better. They reached the champ game. It's been an outstanding first year for Jeff Brom and his return to his alma mater. The cards are number 17 on my overachievers list. Florida State's number 13 for what's that worth. With everything on the line for Florida State, I think the defense rises to the occasion. Rodemaker gives them just enough to win this game, even if it isn't by the nine and a half points my model suggests. Again, not explicitly accounting for the Travis uh, absence here. Florida State wins. Florida State to the CFP for me.
0: Uh, you're talking about the how much Travis is worth. I initially docked Florida State six full points. Uh, I think that was a little bit aggressive, to be honest. Uh, I, I derated them four points uh, this week. I, I think four is probably the more, uh, I, I don't want to say conservative number, uh, the more level-headed <laughs> number, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say no quarterback is worth seven points of the spread, EJ Warner. He's now in the transfer portal, actually. He just hit the portal. Some teams are going to get a... Very accomplished quarterback on the roster for for Temple. I think he's worth that for another team. Probably not. Either way, I Florida State though far. I, I mean, Louisville has some really nice pass catching weapons, but my goodness, Florida State's receiving room is, is an embarrassment of riches right now. It's it's one of the better receiving rooms in the whole country. So if Rodemaker can't work it out with them, um, then he's just not ready to, to be a starting quarterback. And the, he's a veteran on this team, so you know I don't know this time will ever come. Um, I, I, you know, now that we've talked through it, I, I think I still probably take Florida State to win the game, and if that's the case, I think the total has been bet down too low. Um, if I'm taking Florida State, I'm taking over the points. If I'm leaning Louisville to win this game, I take under the points. Uh, that's the way I see it. I, I think if Louisville's winning this game, I don't believe it's because of an offensive shootout. I think it's because Rodemaker is not playing that well, and their defense is getting home and uh, disrupting their their drives. So, if there was a play to make right now, I think the totals overreacted, especially if it's in response to the weather. Um, rain just doesn't, unless it's driving rain, doesn't really affect totals that much. Uh, and we have no idea. Dude, it's Tuesday. And this, this isn't a week-long weather event that's happening in Charlotte. It's like a day or two. So, I'm, I'm going to play over 48.5 uh, if I had to pick something right here right now. Our final matchup on the docket. It's an interesting one, may not be the closest one, but we head to the Big Ten championship game. Number two, Michigan, a 23 point favorite against number 16, Iowa. And here's the kicker this has an over under of 35 and a half points. Do the math in your head a little bit. I'll give you a minute. This game kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox from Lucas Oil Stadium in your backyard in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, this did open Michigan minus 21 and a half, and it's moved quickly off of that. And uh, if you've done the math in your head, Iowa has a market-implied team total of six whole points. Six! There, there's no chance that this has ever happened in a conference championship game before, right? This, this has to be a, uh, an all-time low.
1: Iowa continues to amaze this year, Brett. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. The, the The over-unders, the team totals for Iowa, they just continue to amaze.
0: And it's such a fitting send-off for the Big Ten West. Like We talked about it on, on the podcast last week when, like, when will iowa ever be back in indianapolis sometime maybe but now they're competing with so many teams i don't know if they will uh and so the fact that they're going out with maybe the lowest implied team total uh in in college football championship history uh is is pretty fitting after not going over the lowest total in college football history last week despite 17 points in the first half uh i digress anyway A big injury for Michigan here. Offensive lineman, all American uh, first round NFL draft pick. Zach Zinter suffered a bad broken leg against Ohio state. He's not going to play in this game, but who, uh, who does return Mr. Jim Harbaugh will be back on the sideline for this after getting the slap on the wrist for his final three games. Iowa on the other side uh, without their, their biggest playmaker, Cooper Dejean. I don't know that he's ever going to suit up for Iowa again. He probably goes to the NFL. Um, I'm going to be honest. I bet over the total. Uh, I think Michigan can. I think Michigan does clear it themselves. um, That this just screams 42 to 10, 42 to 6. Whatever you want to give it, I think Michigan clears the total and and can clear it themselves. Iowa has to rely on their defense to win games. That might work against Minnesota and Northwestern, but it's not going to work against Michigan. It's just not going to happen. Penn State cleared Iowa 31-0 with DeGena in the lineup, and like, Penn State's offense isn't that great. They're pretty inefficient. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the added chance for Iowa to score comes defensively and with special teams, but Michigan didn't turn the ball over, ever. So they're not going to be getting many opportunities to be able to score on the defensive side of the ball. Michigan also just crushed Iowa and Indianapolis in 2021, and, and, like, that, in my opinion, was a worse Michigan team and a better Iowa team, at least on offense. Rather than a revenge game, this, to me, kind of is like a Iowa-knows-what's-coming game rather than a, well, we need to get back it, at Michigan for this. And uh, there's no team more motivated in the country right now than the Michigan Wolverines. Of all the conference title games, uh, this one to me is the biggest mismatch. I would go as far as to say it's lopsided. So simple breakdown, not going to take too much time, not going to dive in too much here. Um, I even took a little bit of Michigan alternate team total at uh, 30.5 at plus 110. I thought that was kind of fun.
1: This game is in my backyard, Brett. I look out my office window at work, and I see Lucas Oil Stadium. I've worked this game before. I've attended this game before. A lot of maize and blue in Indianapolis the last three years now as Michigan has really begun to own the Big Ten uh, as they did in the early years of the conference. I love being in the middle of line movement. I have Michigan minus 22 with the model. It's a 94% win expectancy for the Wolverines but I don't have a lot to add. Michigan's my number one power-rated team. They have been since week nine. Iowa's offense is power-rated number 123. It's been sub-100 since week five. So how about this? How does Iowa win the game? Is what I think. They win the turnover battle by at least three and score at least two defensive and or special teams touchdowns. If that sounds like a lot, it's because it is. There's a reason my number's assigned just a 6% chance of an Iowa upset. Michigan will win this game. They'll head to their third consecutive CFP. Brett, the most intriguing part of the whole night might be when Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti has to hand the trophy to Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> a man that he just suspended for three games. I think it's worth mentioning Harbaugh was suspended for half of the season. He missed six games yeah, this year. Like
0: that's right. That's a,
1: that's a lot of games to be missing as a head coach. That could be something to keep an eye on, the handshake and the trophy hand, because I imagine – uh, what the game kicks at like eight eight fifteen? Michigan will be getting that thing around eleven fifteen eleven thirty Eastern.
0: I I apologize to Iowa fans. Um, I'm gonna kick you guys on the way out. Uh, love love Iowa City Kinnick Stadium is one of my favorite game day experiences. Let me put it out there. Uh, I was last in the country in yards per game, behind Kent State, behind East Carolina, behind Eastern, behind Akron Navy Ball State. I was last
1: stop stop he's already dead right that, that's the meme that's the gift I, he's already dead stop I, stop
0: <laughs> I I really do love Iowa fans very much and, and your game day is great um but
1: if, if Iowa fans Just like here, here here here's the thing I, I agree with you here's the thing though Iowa fans for as bad as we're projecting it might be in Vegas is too to be fair to us you could surprise us absolutely probably can't get worse than what we're thinking and at the end of the day you are in the Big Ten championship game. No other team from the Big Ten West is. There's two teams playing for this thing, and you're one of them. So for anybody giving Iowa fans grief, and I know, Brett, you and I are having some fun with them here because that's what the numbers, that's what the power ratings say, this is what your eyes tell us, all this stuff. All you can do is e- either uh, surprise us in a positive way or it's what we expect, and you can say, hey, anyone who laughed at you, Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern, whoever you are, any fans of other teams, where's your team this week? You're not playing in Indy. So Iowa fans, that's all you have to say. But Brett, I'm with you. I, it's just it's not going to be a good game. You know, what? I, I will leave them with something nice at the end. Last in
0: yards per game in the country. Ten wins. Ten wins. There you go. Boom. All right, that's it. That's our conference championship rundown. The next time you see us, we'll be talking about America's game and Army Navy as well as Bowl season right around the corner. Very excited to be talking about that. We may even have a little episode, a little special episode for you. Uh, when the committee puts out their final top 25 and their who's in, who's out. And then Kelly's going to tear them to shreds with his most deserving and who he believes should be in the playoff field. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel. There, you can join a sharp and very active community as we make our way through bowl season. Don't forget to subscribe to Alliance YouTube for college football odds and betting videos for the remainder of this postseason. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. And drop us a good review if you like the show. People have been great about leaving comments down below. Some are nice, some are not so nice. Uh, let me know where you lean in these games. Do you agree with our assessments? Disagree? Do you just want to take cheap shots at Kelly's model? Hey, all those things are open to you in the YouTube comments. But Kelly, before we get out of here, please let everybody listening and commenting know where they can find your work.
1: Well, it doesn't sound like someone that want to find my work, but you can find it at K forward ratings.com on X at K forward ratings over at the com writing, obviously this podcast, all sorts of different things, Brett, I will say, cause apparently there's some comments that aren't super flattering to the model. <laughs> I get probably anywhere between a half a dozen to a dozen DMS every week from different accounts, different people. Some I follow, some I don't, but they, they're people that I recognize. And I, Hey man, it's betting simple, straight up your numbers, another positive week, another positive week. Like I, that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing is to give people betting advice. If people are using the model for betting purposes, have at it. I hope you I hope it's going well for you. I hear every single week from multiple people. Again, sometimes it's double digits in a weekend that say another positive week. Just keep it rolling. Like that's great. I sometimes I I screenshot and tweet it. Sometimes I don't. It, I hope people are enjoying it. If you've got issues with it, by all means, comment, as Brett said, comment on, on Twitter on X, um, we can go back and forth if it's respectful and all that, but yeah, uh, bring it on. I've gotten pretty used to just <laughs> dealing with dealing with the comments. So let's do it.
0: Well, it, to those that are still sticking around, listening to our rants here about this, it, th- there is a reason that Kelly is, is here right now. There is a reason <laughs> we brought him on to talk about college football and it's because His his originating is nails. Like the the models, absolute nails. If you don't believe it, track it for yourself. You'll be pretty happy with it. (laughs) Anyway, but that's our episode. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.